The sobering truth about alcohol, and it is sobering, it is sobering. The extent and effect of binge drinking is indeed sobering. I read, I checked on it. In the UK, they estimate in the last four weeks, one in four, a quarter of all 15-year-olds will have got drunk in the last month. More girls than boys, by the way. You think of it. Some areas will be higher than others, obviously. Each year, there are over one million admissions to hospitals due to alcohol-related problems. So let's look at this subject, alcohol. And I want to look at it soberly, sensibly, of course, scripturally. First of all, what, do, what is the meaning of alcohol? Well, there are some scientists here could give you the exact definition of the substance, chemical formula, and so on. But the first thing I think we have to say may surprise you. Alcohol is one of God's wonderful gifts of common grace to mankind. Alcohol, we're thinking of the actual substance, the chemical. That chemical has wonderful benefits for us. COVID, hand sanitizer, some are up to 90% alcohol. Many of the products have the alcohol. In winter, antifreeze, alcohol. De-icer, alcohol. Talking about the chemical now. We haven't reached the drinking it. That's the chemical. So it is a gift of God, swabs to clean before an injection. I think too, and it's actually surprising that many products naturally contain a small amount of alcohol. They naturally uh, produce it. You think of ripe bananas can can have up to 1% alcohol. That shocked me if they're very, very ripe. Many fruit juices now a very, very tiny amount. Yeast based breads. Now, most of the alcohol is burnt off when it's cooked, but I did read even some sweet rolls in America, especially for burgers and so on, kind of half a percent. Vinegar, of course, you know, some yogurt, soy sauce, etc. So much of it is used in our products, but now that's not where we're going to, the danger from it. But I'm just saying the chemical, the chemical. There are legitimate uses of alcohol. Now, there's a verse when you talk about alcohol, they usually come, well, is it ever right to take alcohol? Is it ever right to drink it? Well, I remember quite a number of years ago, early 80s, a Christian nurse approached me, and she said in the ward back then, she had been asked to give some type of uh, blend of brandy and some other drugs to people who were very, very ill in a terminal ward, and she felt conscious. I can't be giving drink to somebody. And she asked me what I thought. I said, it's your conscience, but I wouldn't have a problem. Turn to Proverbs 31 and 6, just in case you're getting worried about me. (laughs) Proverbs 31, and I turned her to this verse, and I left the matter with her, if she's still of a conscience, it's between her and the Lord. But look at Proverbs 31, verse 6. Give, Proverbs 31, 6, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. See, I felt that that lady was giving it just as, people, just as the doctors give morphine or some other painkiller when people are in extreme pain. So I'm saying there are legitimate uses. And then I think, of course, when you speak to somebody about alcohol, there's people who know nothing about the Bible but their favorite verse. If you don't know it, you can turn to it. 1 Timothy 5.23. You know that verse people will quote? It says there, listen, And remember, Paul traveled with Dr. Luke. 
And Paul is writing back to Timothy had left as a pastor, and obviously he had some health problems. And Paul writes, 1 Timothy 5.23, Timothy, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine oft infirmities. What a misused verse. You talk to some people who say, now, the alcohol, oh, but the Bible says take a little wine for your stomach. Well, there's a lot of things you could say about that verse. Uh, history tells us at that time, Greeks, Romans, Jews, yes, they did take some wine. But wine, when it ferments naturally, it can't go over 15 or so percent. They'd mix it with five parts of water. Very, very weak. Very weak compared to today when wine is sold in shops. Most of it, they add alcohol to it to make it more potent, to have a stronger, quicker effect. So it's nothing like the wine today. That's one thing to keep in mind. And people believed it helped digestion, for their stomach's sake. And it also helped purify the water. When we were missionaries in Papua New Guinea, we were instructed by doctors if we took water out of the river, only a few occasions it happened, either bleach, a few drops of bleach in the water, or a few drops of alcohol, and rubbing alcohol. That's what we had, you know, for injections and so on. And a couple of times we did that because it purifies the water. So when that verse is obviously speaking not about Timothy sitting drinking and drinking glass after glass. Not talking about that. He's doing it for medicine. And notice the verse, if anyone ever brings this up to you, a little, <laughs> a little. That's not sitting, taking it and taking it. It's a little, it's a little. Well, turn over to this passage. By, uh, by the way, I know in history and over in the uh, We'll turn over to Psalm 23, sorry, Proverbs 23. I know in history in some parts of the world, Christians take table wine with their meat. I'm not approving of it. Don't misunderstand me. But it's because of a culture with the same reason as Timothy. Water was impure. I'm not saying it's right. But there's no excuse for us. Because when I read up on it, fruit juice, pure juice, grape juice is more effective. Well, the misuse of alcohol. Proverbs 23, verse 31. See, this has nothing to do with what Paul was telling Timothy. Don't let anybody use that verse with you. Take a little wine. It's all right to go and take a few glasses. It's nothing to do with that. But verse 31 of Proverbs 23. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. The idea of looking is to lust after, to desire. You see, this is a father speaking to his son. And Solomon, now it's under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but Solomon is saying, Son, don't you get caught up drinking alcoholic wine. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stay away from it. That's obviously what he's talking about. Don't tarry long with it. This is what some people call binge drinking or drinking uh, as a beverage in that sense. And those who... Some here, I'm sure, and some of us have been involved over the years with people have got caught up and they haven't listened to this. When we, oh, I'm talking now, well, early 70s when we were in America, I worked for, well, a day a week or going part of a day, I should say, quite often to what's called a rescue mission. There could be a hundred men there in to get a bed for the night. They would sleep in the streets. Some of them had been professional people. But you see, they tarried long at the wine. They didn't even have a bed. 
they would get a bed and breakfast and supper, but they had to listen to us preach and a service first. But they did a great ministry, those people. And there is this misuse. The misuse is taking alcohol. Yes, there are medicinal benefits in certain restricted cases. can be useful, but we're talking now about the misuse. Solomon is saying, don't you sit and take it like a beverage, continually drinking this. Why? Because it leads to misery. Why do people take the alcohol? Because they're looking for a thrill. They're looking maybe to dead and pain or, or, or something like that. Well, go down the passage with me quickly. So much we could say. So in Proverbs 23, now watch. Here's the misery that will come to a person who tarries long at the wine. Look at it. Verse 29. Who hath woe? And that describes, I'm sure, quite a few in Coleraine and every town in our land. There are people, there are families tonight, and they have woe. They have sorrow. Why? Because somebody in the family was tarrying long at the alcohol. By the way, just in case, uh, I want to point out, I believe you shouldn't touch it. <laughs> we'll get to that in a few moments, but that's what it's saying here, the verse. Don't. Who hath woe? Look at verse 29. This is what happens. The disputes. Who hath contention? I remember watching a documentary a few years ago about the massive increase of fights among young people, mostly towns in England, mostly girls, sorry ladies, coming out of nightclubs drunk. I'm sure some of you have seen scenes like that on television and so on. It's a horrendous epidemic in our land. That's, see, alcohol produces fights. Do you know in the United States, I read, half of all murders are alcohol-related. And then here's a word, good Ulster word. Well, I grew up with it, verse 29, the drivel. Who hath babbling? There was a late man, some of you might remember him, Johnny McQuaid, Shankill Road. He was an MP for a while. He was only saved shortly before he died. But, you know, Johnny served in the Second World War as a chindit, dropped the parachute behind the Japanese lines in the jungle. Brave man. He never drank. Even before he was saved, he never drank. Because he said, when I joined the army and I saw the fools that fellow soldiers were making of themselves, I swore I would never touch alcohol. Very wise man, wasn't he? He wasn't even saved. The drivel. You just talk and talk. Look at verse 29, destruction. Who hath wounds without a cause? You see, alcohol causes people to be hurt. It hurts. The atomic bombs uh, dropped in Japan, as you know, Hiroshima, 80,000 were killed. People still talk about that devastation, 80,000. Do you know in America... 200,000 die every year as a result of alcohol. But people laugh at getting drunk. You think of those figures. Destruction. Disfigurement, verse 29, redness of eyes. Now, there is an effect of the alcohol can do that, of course, give a flush and so on. Uh, personally, I think it's more than that. I think it's redness of eyes with the sorrow and the weeping that they've got themselves into. Verse 33, there's debauchery. Thine eyes shall behold strange women. You see, it blurs the distinction between right and wrong. The person could have a moral, well, everybody's a moral standard, but could have a high moral standard. Things they, no, I wouldn't do that. But when the drink gets in, the wit's out. And they yield 
to temptations that they never would have dreamt they would have committed if they hadn't been under the influence of alcohol. And here's a father telling his son, don't do it. And there's danger in verse 34. Hear ye, son. Hear, listen, son. And this is what we as a church, church leaders, preachers, parents, we're to teach our children, listen, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that lieth upon the top of a mast. That's poetic as it were. Can you imagine somebody on the top of a mast of a ship, the danger? He's saying, son, you get caught up in alcohol, it'll be danger, there'll be disaster, there'll be, there can be death. I remember when we lived in America, I remember hearing the news, a judge had a great idea. Some young lads were caught drunk driving. You know what he made them do, part of the sentence? Go down to the morgue and look at the bodies of those who were killed as a result of drunk driving. Go to the hospital and watch as the injuries are brought in. That might have sobered them up. The Bible, you see, it's a terrible scourge in our nation in this, this age. And just let me say this. People say, oh, but do most people in the world drink? No, they don't. But Britain and Western Europe, the high, high rates of alcohol. Just by the way, remember some necessary medicines that we take can cloud the mind as well. And as far as I understand, legally you can be charged with under the influence if you drive with certain drugs that we have to take. I'm talking medicinal. And then look at verse 35. This is why I stay away from alcohol. It's a narcotic. Now, again, there's times narcotics are used to deaden pain. But look, they have stricken me, shall they say. And I will sit. They have beaten me and I felt it not. Have you ever been around those addicted to alcohol and they're cut and they're bruised and they don't feel it? Why is that? Because alcohol is a narcotic drug. And this is the fights and all go. And here's... What a key one this is, verse 35, the dissatisfaction it brings. When shall I wake? I will seek it yet again. It's addictive. It's addictive. My mind goes back over 40 years ago. Just say it was in the town of Carrickfergus. There was a man who would have been brought up in Christian circles. He sang in a leading choir, but he had got addicted to alcohol when I met him. You wouldn't have known it. He's looked very respectable, well-dressed when he came to the church. I'll never forget the day. Wife called me. Would you come round quickly? He's already been in hospital with the alcohol. He says, tell him we need the ambulance. And he sat there. I'm okay. I don't need it. I haven't been drinking. I said, have you? Not at all, Mr. Johnson. I haven't been taking in. Not at all. And he had a bottle of orange lemonade beside him. So I... Maybe really, I went over and took it and opened it. The methylated spirits. It added methylated spirits to it. We got the ambulance and got him into hospital for about a week or so, but sadly he's out again back on it. Oh, listen, that scripture there. You see, Chris, what a great work Chris does among drug addicts and so on, but speaking to him in certainly past days, he'd say, yes, the awful effect of these drugs, he'll tell you tomorrow night. But, you know, I think it's true to say alcohol's still at the top for addictive. The people who've ruined their life and become uh, addicted, I, I think how sad it is, how sad it is. You see, he started by taking a drink. 
and in the drink took him. Verse 32, at last it biteth like a serpent and stings like an adder. Now, of course, we'll get to this in a moment. Someone say, well, I'll not take a lot of it. I've been amazed in recent days. The number of articles have appeared in magazines and news where doctors are warning even a very small amount of alcohol every day affects the liver, the muscles, the brain, and so on. It biteth like a serpent. All these things. But the New Testament goes further. And I'll just quote you the verse. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 10. Drunkenness damns. Bible says that. No drunkard shall inherit eternal life. Now, there have been people who have been drunkards, but they've repented. And we're not been holier than I here because covetous and other sins, we know that. But tonight we're speaking about the addictive uh, uh, aspect of alcohol and we're doing what we're told in Scripture to warn our young people and to be ready to warn them of what the Bible says and the warning the Holy Spirit gave through Solomon for us to teach our children and our children's children and to teach the youth and the congregation and older people to beware of it. No drunkard, it damns. Well, the meaning, the misuse, what about the mockery? The mockery. See, this is amazing how it, it, it just it mocks people. When you think of all the adverts and television and so on, it sounds so good, doesn't it? Sounds so good. Turn over to Proverbs 20, verse 1. I'm thinking of the mockery of the alcohol trade. And you've seen the posters. You've seen the adverts and magazines. You've seen how alcohol's promoted. You'll see how the bottles look so nice and it's colored so nicely and so attractively and how they'll sponsor various events, even sports events, although anybody involved in sports, I mean from a medical point of view to get people strong and so on. The World Health Organization, for instance, says no athlete should ever take alcohol. But yet the sponsor, why? And they're trying to get people in. But look at chapter 20, verse 1. We're to teach our children. Listen, son, daughter, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. You have to say, son, it'll mock you. In other words, if they see an advert, there's an opportunity to teach your children. We're told in Deuteronomy, when you're walking, when you're going in, going out, he can say, look at that foolish advert. You know, that company for whatever it is, Spurs, they're not advertising their best customers. Do you ever think about that? The alcohol, the alcoholic trade don't advertise their best customers. What do I mean? Who spends the most on it? They don't want you to see them. They're the ones who've made shipwreck of their life. They're the ones who are in woe. But when they put the adverts, it'll be somebody really good looking and strong and Oh, they don't show you the effects of those who have taken their products. You see, they say, it'll do you good. No, it won't. It'll bring you despair. Have a good time. You need alcohol to have a good time. And then waking up in the morning, don't know what they did last night. Listen, if I have a good time, I want to remember it. I don't mean a sinful good time, but the enjoyable time. Take it, 
take another one to drown your sorrows. It just brings more sorrow. I'm talking about the, the mockery. The mockery makes people miserable. Don't be deceived. You see, this is a deception. Alcohol, when you start taking it, remember what I'm saying to you, as far as I'm aware, studying it, they add alcohol today. Way back years and years ago, it was naturally fermented, but they're adding more. Why? To get people drunk quicker. And there are some people get into a crowd and they go out at night and they want to get a strong in alcohol content. Why? To get intoxicated as quickly as they can. To get that feeling. But listen, it brings misery. You think about that word, intoxicated. Right? Think of the word. Now, what you use? Intoxicated. See the middle of the word? In toxic. Isn't that what you put on poison bottles? Toxic. Why is it those who drink so much throw up? Because there's a poison in their stomach. It's poisoning them. I mean, the word's right there. Why is it a person throws up after they've taken so much alcohol? Because their stomach has more sense than their brain. It's a poison. It's a poison. And you think of the myths, just for, I could mention many, but we don't have time tonight. Keeps out the cold. You ever heard that? Rubbish. Oh, it'll give a sudden sensation to the skin, but it'll lower the temperature, not raise it. Opposite, it's a good sedative for sleep, only, the doctors say, if used extremely rarely. And I'm not saying you should use it. Doesn't It does the opposite effect. The opposite effect. It's good after exercise to quench your thirst. Isn't it amazing, adverts and so on, fellows or girls coming in after the sports, and they go to the pub, get, well, get a drink. No, no, no. It's the worst thing you can do. Alcohol dehydrates. It dehydrates. It's one of the worst things an athlete could do. It doesn't quench the thirst. Here's a great myth. It doesn't affect me. <laughs> You'll meet people who say that. No, no, I can take it or leave it. I'll take it. Listen. They mightn't show immediate signs, but it'll come. The budget keeps putting the price up. No, it doesn't. Look back 15, 20 years. In real terms, it's far cheaper today. Most people drink have already dealt with that. Well, here's where I want to get to tonight. I could go on giving you facts and figures about the awful situation of alcohol. And what I want you to get across your mind here is, how do we glorify God? In what we eat, in what we drink, we're to think carefully, scripturally. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide us what we should do. And then we've looked where Solomon is telling us, son, of the dangers, of the disaster of taking alcohol. But how do we master it? How do we master this? Well, in Proverbs 23, 31, it says, look not thou upon the wine when it is red. I would say total abstinence. Don't start. Don't start. 
No one ever became an alcoholic without taking the first drink. And so I would appeal to those who are young, don't. And if you are chumming around with people that do and won't stop, well then, not only should you leave the drink alone, you should leave them alone. Because in verse 20, it says, be not among wine-bibbers. You're to stay away from people like that. And then, here's an argument. Uh, maybe you haven't had these debates with people, but over the years, I've talked to some about this, and they'd say, ah, but listen, that, that's okay. That, that's, the, that's the down and out alcoholic. That's the extreme one. I'm a moderate drinker. I can take a, a glass or two and it doesn't affect me. Answer. And these are figures that are out there. You can see them. The medical authorities tell us that out of 11 who take their first drink, one out of the 11 will have a serious, serious problem with alcohol. Two others will have problems. They're not saying that the others will not have some effect on their body. But three out of the 11, one especially so, will, come, will become an extreme addict. There's three out of 11. Now, if I had a dog in the house and it only bit one in every four visitors, <laughs> what would happen? Of course, you would tie it up, you'd destroy it. But you see a group of 11, maybe you're in school, 11 of your classmates, we'll go ahead and take it. I'll be able to stand it. Three of those 11 are going to have serious problems. One out of the 11 is going to be disaster, absolute disaster, disaster. Now, all that I've said is good advice. A lot of what we've said here is from the scripture, but you can read books put out by the government, by doctors, not to touch it. You'll, you can read all this. It's amazing. The figures are amazing. And yet, on the other hand, it's being promoted. Isn't it crazy when you think about it? There's so much warnings about the harm that alcohol does, especially. And I didn't bring figures with me, but... Oh, about five years ago, I looked it up. And, and I tell you, those medical authorities were worried in Britain because of the problems that young people then, and again, uh, sorry to get back at this, but I was shocked it said mostly girls, girls more than boys. The effects are going to have on their liver and their whole health because they've gone out binge drinking to parties and discos. And they, oh, it hasn't, it will affect them. And these, are med these aren't Christians. These are medical doctors saying there's going to be an epidemic in the national health because of drink. Now, we can talk all about that, but we're not here just to talk about the dangers because we're here to glorify God and we're here to get to Christ. And as Christians and to teach our children, it's more than telling them to stay away from alcohol. No, no. The whole motive the whole basis of what we warn our children and tell them is this, how the Lord Jesus Christ 
came into this world and went all the way to that middle tree and gave his life in that tree and died for sinners and rose again. And he lives to save sinners. Listen, Calvary has to be the very center. You see, Christ died on Calvary, Titus 2 tells us. Yes, to save us from our sins, but that we would live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And this age is a drunken age. A drunken age. Remember John Hanna telling me some years ago when he first went to Spain, you hardly saw drunk young people in the street. Yet decades later, the, the lager culture from England had come over. And he saw a big change in the drunkenness in the streets, even in Madrid. See, we live in a drunken age. And our Savior died on Calvary so that we'd be saved from our sins, the penalty, but that we would be saved to live a righteous, godly life in this age. And here's the two ways, Christian young person, you can overcome the temptation of alcohol. And let me say this. I'm not young, obviously. But I have no doubt there's temptations in my day, believe it or not. But it must be so, so much more pressure on young people. Yes, even from Christian families, the pressure's there from their friends. The pressure's there to join in. And the only way you'll be able to overcome is if you remember two things. Two things. Realize what blessings you have in Christ. And number two, recognize who you are in Christ. And you keep those two things before you and you will overcome the temptation to join with friends and school chums and all to try it and to take the drink. Now, you stand up for Christ as a Christian young people. We older ones need to realize there will be pressure. Remember what I said at the beginning? I was shocked. One in four 15-year-olds in the United Kingdom have been drunk in the last month. There will be pressure. And we, our heart goes out to young people today. And we pray for you. And we're thinking of you. But I can't turn to these verses. But in 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2, you'll find Peter is telling these Christians why they're persecuted. You know what he said? They in the world will think it's strange. They'll think that you're strange. Why? Because you will not join them in riot to excess. And here's a Christian young person goes into the school class and the friends say, oh, we're going out this week. And I, it's supposed to be 18, but you know the limit, but you know it's, that doesn't work like that in society. Come on out. And here's a Christian young person, it'll take courage for you to say, no not going to drink. No. And they'll probably laugh. And they'll think that you're the strange one. And because they don't know the gospel, some might actually reason this way. Poor so-and-so. He's trying to do penance. He's giving up all the joys of life. He's giving up happiness to try and work his way to heaven. And we know that's the, it's the opposite. No, 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 no. No, no. We don't do it because we have something better. We have the Lord. He came to give us life abundantly. You see, they don't understand because they're not saved. No one, you don't work to try and get to heaven. It's a free gift of God, but they don't understand. And that's why tonight, if I was speaking to a young, if a young person came to me and said, Mr. Johnson, I'm facing 
terrible problems in school. Most of my class aren't saved. And they're trying to get me to take a drink and it's hard to resist. Well, I would remind them, realize what you have in Christ. You have blessings in him. You have eternal life. You have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then I would be positive. You see, we don't preach. It's not just negative tonight. It's a positive message. You remember the story of the famine? You'll read about it in Second Kings chapter 5. It was a great famine. And it was so bad. You remember what they're eating? Sorry, put you off your supper or breakfast. You remember what they were eating, what they were selling for food in the city? Donkey head and dove's dung. Remember the story? You read about it if you don't know that story. That's how bad the famine was. Remind you the siege of Derry. The people were buying donkey burger. And it wasn't even the good meat. And dove's dung. Now, imagine you're coming out of a restaurant and you've just had the biggest steak. If you Mr. Irvin coming out. <laughs> like steaks, I'm sure. But a big steak used to get over in America and all, and you've come out, and you've had the steak with all the trimmings, and oh, mm, what a lovely, gorgeous meal. And somebody comes up, would you like to buy a donkey head to eat? <laughs> Listen, I, I have some dog, dove's dung for you to eat. What would you do? Get away from me. Uh, that, that's That's rotten. That's terrible. Now, I hope you see the application. When you have Christ and you walk with him and you have the blessings of walking with him, when they say, look here and come and try this alcohol, no, no. Because I have something better. I've got Christ. I, I, I don't want that. I, I don't need it. I don't want to have it. I had a relative... Some time ago, some years ago, sadly got into addiction. Very, very bad addiction. Would visit him. Group of other men were there. All in the alcohol. Tiny flat, east of the province. Flat, just, we're just sitting there. Relatives' house, so I came in, and there was cans lying and more cans of beer. Remember this, I said, Ron! Come on, have one. Try it. Come and join us and try it. Oh, so sad. They couldn't see. They couldn't see. Oh, see what you have in Christ. Secondly, recognize who you are in Christ. First Corinthians 6. Here's why, Christian young person, you should never get involved in taking alcohol. First Corinthians chapter 6. You see, this is where the, the victory over sin comes. It, what I'm trying to say, it's not a matter of you trying to fight it in our own strength. It's through Christ when you see what, who he is and what you have in him and then recognize who you are in him. Look at 1 Corinthians six nineteen. What had been happening is some Christians were not living as they ought and Paul heard reports of their bad behavior and he writes in verse 19, What? What? How can you behave like this as a Christian? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Christian, you're saved. See that body of yours? Who says it? 
You say, well, it's my body. Listen, it's God's temple. One of the worst crimes that society say is to desecrate a place of worship. Well, there are really no holy buildings today in the sense that the temple in Jerusalem was. But you know what's the holy temple, God's dwelling place? God, the Holy Spirit Christian, dwells in your life. And when you stop to realize, look at the next part, verse 19, you're not your own. We don't, once you're saved, you don't belong to yourself. Why not? Verse 30, sorry, verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Oh, think of the precious blood of Christ. Think of how he suffered in that middle tree in agony and blood to save you, to make you his. Think about how in those hours of darkness, your eternal hell that you and I should have borne for all eternity, it fell on Christ. Now think of the sufferings of Christ. Think of his agony. Think of the awesome price that he paid to make you his child, a child of a king, an inheritor of heaven, one day to be with him in glory. Oh, what a special person. You see, Christian, now we don't mean a, a sense of pride because it's nothing to do with us. But yet realize, you're a child of a king. You're the Lord's. You're the Lord's. Not a, a, what a tremendous privilege. Therefore, when you realize that, what will you do? Glorify God where? Yes, we glorify God when we work when we evangelize, when we get involved in the church activities, when we witness, yes, but look, glorify God in your body. What we do with this body of ours, we have to give it to the Lord and we glorify him, recognize who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we ought to say with Isaac Watts, love so amazing, so divine, shall have my soul, my life, my all. Let's turn back to the verse we began with, First. Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Remember verse 31? We're not, we're the, whatever we do, eating or drinking, how can I glorify God if I'm sitting taking alcohol? How can I? If you still doubt what we've read in Scripture, just ask the Lord to teach you. But then I have met, sadly, some Christians and they've said, oh, I can just take a bit of wine with my meal. Because, of course, you, you know food dilutes the potency of the alcohol. I'm not sitting drinking glass after glass. After. These warnings don't apply to me. I can go ahead and take it. Look at the next verse, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God. Give none offense. No man is an island. What you do influences others. My late father, he worked with the Baptist Home Mission for 25 years. He often told me of two close friends of his who became Baptist pastors, one an evangelist in America for a while, and they're both saved out of strong alcoholism and dog racing and so on. They both went on well, but one, he had been an alcoholic and addict. Now we're talking, emphasizing the, the addictive power of alcohol, and some caught up in it. And here's the sobering truth. He was preaching in England. 
and he went to a certain home among a group, but they were believers. But they said, oh, it's okay to take table wine. They made it themselves at the meal. And they offered him. He said, oh, no, no, no. And they kept pressing him. Sure, you're saved. It'll do you no harm. It's only with your meal. And he took it and went on a binge. And he was out of the preaching ministry for some years. You say, well, should he not have been stronger? Should he not listen? You don't realize the addictive power that that can get of people. They put that temptation. You see, some misuse the verse. If any man be in Christ is a new creature. And I've heard some Christians say, oh, if a person's saved, and some testify, and thank God for it, when I was saved, I never had a desire after drink again or some other thing. My father was like that. The night he was saved, he was convicted, and he put the paint he told me in the bar and never went back in his life. But there are sincere Christians battle because of addiction and how we need to encourage them and care for them. And that man I'm telling you about, about he, he was one. We had a teacher in, bio, in missionary training. Oh, what a lovely man. He used to give us testimony how he was an alcoholic, but he came off well. You say you're always an alcoholic, but what he meant was he stopped taking the drink through Alcoholics Anonymous. But he told us one day how he was out with the church, good church, in a certain area. And the men were giving out tracts, and one of them said, come on, uh, we'll just go into the tavern quickly and give the men one. He said, oh, no, I'm not going. Oh, no, we're, we're not going in to drink. We're just going in to give a tract, and then we'll come out again. He says, no, no. Well, why not? I was addicted to alcohol. Don't go near it. Oh, the Lord will give you strength. Sure, you can trust in the Lord. He said, no, I trust the Lord, but I don't trust myself. I thought he was wise. I don't trust myself. What a wise man. You see, that verse I said, if any man be in Christ, there may be some, oh, but sure, if you're saved, well, let me ask you and me this. Christian, do you ever get angry? Not many years you've been saved. <laughs> do you ever get caught? Oh, but if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. See what I mean about misunderstanding it? We still battle with sin. And I'm saying, young person, don't you get to that place where those men I've talked to you about. Because if those men were here, you know what they'll tell you? Those who've had addictions to alcohol, young person, never take the first drink. That's dead, but the first to tell you that. Don't start. Don't start taking it. That's the thing. I love what one pastor I heard say in America, and he got on a plane, used to give free alcohol in those planes, and the waitress, well, would you like a free drink? No, thank you. I got a drink 25 years ago, and I've never been thirsty since. <laughs> of course, what even do I want to tell her how she's trusted Christ? Well, it could be somebody here, but I don't know a lot of you, and I'm already drinking, and it's so hard. It's so hard to walk away, and I understand that. I understand that, and we're praying for you. We're seeking for you, but listen, you can be saved. Because the verse that says, no drunkard shall inherit eternal life, the very next verse says, such were some of you. You know, a New Testament church ought to have converted drunkards in it, as well as people converted from self-righteousness and covetous and so on. What's to be our attitude to those in Coleraine, you living in Coleraine, to those who are affected with drink? I hope we've got across that the Bible, I believe, teaches stay away from it, young person. Be warned. Be warned. Look 
look to see the blessings are in Christ and who you are in Christ and master the temptation. But what about those that are addicted? Oh, listen, we're not to wipe them off. We're to seek to reach them. And thank God for groups that do go out. Thank God for Chris, while there's maybe not so much alcohol, so some would be with drugs and so on. We ought to reach them. And we ought to do it lovingly. Some of the older ones remember Pastor Willie Mullen. I was saved under his ministry. He'd been an alcoholic for four years, never slept in a bed for four years, wandered the streets. I used to sit under his ministry often, even on a Tuesday night, and I always remember him. Often he would say, because he had been an alcoholic, he'd said, listen, back then you'd see older men, I'm talking about Belfast and cities lying in the gutter. He says, never walk by a drunk lying in the gutter. You get down beside him and put your arm around him and tell him Jesus loves him. Now, of course, reaching youth who are involved in drink, be careful, because you don't want to go in where they're all taken. That's, that's a different matter. But we're to go after people who are held by drink. And we're to do it lovingly the way the Lord did it. I've many stories going to tell, but my time is gone. But one of the ones that really challenged me years ago, I was reading about a famous, he was head of a Bible college, actually, a Dr. Scarborough in America. And he got on a train and there's only one other person in the carriage. And in those days, it wasn't like the trains where you could walk up and down. You were stuck in that carriage to the next. Uh, some of the older people remember that. You were stuck there. So it was this drunk man. And he had a, the bottle in a brown bag. And he's swigging. He says, here, have a drink. No, thank you. Here, have a drink. Well, later, have a drink. No, thank you. Now, he could have quoted Proverbs 23. He could have quoted it from memory, I'm sure, and told him. But he just said, no, thank you. And finally, the man drinking the spirit said, huh, suppose you're looking down your nose at me. Suppose you think I'm just an old drunk. Dr. Scarborough said, oh, sir, I think you're one of the kindest gentlemen I've ever met. And I want to thank you very much for your generosity. You don't meet so many generous people today. And that is very generous of you offering to share your alcohol with me. Very, very generous. Thank you very much for the offer. But you see, I don't take alcohol. Can I tell you why? And at the end of the train journey, it led that man to Christ. <laughs> oh, we're to do it lovingly like the Savior, because the Savior was a friend of sinners. Thank God for that. Let's have bow in a word of prayer, please. Our Father in heaven, as we come tonight, Lord, we do think of our young people. Oh Lord, some of us older ones can think back over our own lives and friends that we knew. And Lord, they got caught up in addiction to alcohol. They made shipwreck of their family, made shipwreck of their lives. Oh Lord, we covered, and the members here in Coleraine would Covet before you right now. Protect the youth of Coleraine Church, we pray. O oh Lord, protect all our children and our own families, in our churches. Lord, may they be warned. But then, Lord, we think of those who have got caught up in it, and we thank you there is hope in Christ. Lord, the answer is Christ. 
so that we'll not be succumbed to temptation. It's seeing Christ on Calvary. But we thank thee for those who have got caught up. There's hope in seeing Christ dying on Calvary for sinners. Oh Lord, save them, we pray. Give opportunities to speak to those who are caught up. And Lord, in all things, may we seek to glorify thee. Lord, what a verse we've read tonight in First Corinthians 10. Whatever we do, oh Lord, deliver us from this idea that we only serve the Lord when we are in a, in a religious setting. But Lord, every moment of every day, whatever we're doing, studying at school, in our job, even in retirement, and, and whatever the things are, we're to live on to thee. Give us that grace. But, O oh Lord, as we part tonight, Lord, may we see the Lord Jesus Christ. May we rejoice, we who are saved, to know what we have in him, all spiritual blessings. Give us a desire to know him in a closer way. Lord, help us to realize as we go about our day-to-day -day life, eating, drinking, going in and out, that we are the Lord's and we belong to him. Separate us now with the fear and blessing of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, resting, remaining, abiding upon us until our Savior comes or calls. Amen.